God's word for us today from 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is the word of God. This is the smoke detector from my kitchen. It's not attached to the wall. It's actually, it sits on a ledge just above our oven. And you are a nuisance. Here's why. So we're, uh, you know, my wife and I are hanging out. We're, get, we're cooking a meal. We want to make like the world's best wedge salad. And the secret ingredient to the world's best wedge salad is... Yes! Yeah, bacon. Oh, you've had it. Okay. So, in my house, when we cook bacon, we put it in the oven. And so, smoke detector up here. Darren puts the bacon in the oven down here. Seven, eight minutes later, open the oven door just to check on the bacon. Oh, it's just, it's sizzling beautifully. And uh, it's not even brown yet, much less black. It's just a good color. There's this, this vapor of deliciousness, of, of smoky, salty, meatiness, baconness that comes out and greets me in the face. And I'm like in bacon heaven, and <laughs> the smoke detector starts going off, and we know this routine. And so now it's now you know I have my hand on the hot pan with the hot pad, and the oven door is open, and that's hot, and the. And my wife is across the house going, there goes the smoke detector again, and it does that all the time. And, and, and so I try to not burn myself and get the bacon back in the oven without burning myself, and I do, and I get this thing, and I throw it in the living room. And it stops beeping. Problem solved. You, you know all the drill. You've been there many times. Or not. Because what if Mr. Smoke Detector friend here, what if, what if he was detecting not so much being really sensitive to like bacon, but there's some residue in my oven that's been charred for a while, and, and he knew it, and he was telling me something, and I just tossed him in the living room and put the bacon back in, and it's going to go for another 10, 12 minutes or so, and maybe I go to a different part of the house or go outside and kitchen fire. 
this smoke detector represents pain in our lives. And pain is there to, pain is a voice. It's there to tell us something. Like the smoke detector wanted to tell me something. And the problem is, in our world of comfort and convenience, what we like to do is get rid of the pain as much as possible, just get rid of the pain, and we don't deal with the problem. This is true emotionally, it's true mentally, it's true relationally, and it's true spiritually. Pop an ibuprofen, everything's better. No, it's not. You just masked the problem by taking care of the pain. Putting up emotional walls around ourselves because we hear the beep, beep, beeping of relationships that are difficult and conflictual in our lives. So we just build emotional walls so we don't have to deal with it. And our hearts become hard. And we're not dealing with the problem, we're just dealing with the pain. Avoiding conflict. Hurting others before they can hurt you. Running from God. Drifting in our faith. It's, it's all like the exact same thing I do with this guy when he beeps in my ear and I don't want him to. All it is is just getting rid of the pain and it's not dealing with the problem. So you, uh, you meet with the uh, pediatric radiologist and the pediatric radiologist slides an x-ray film across the table and shows it to you and said, guess what? We've discovered the reason that your two-year-old has a tummy ache. Yeah, look at this. She swallowed a Lego piece and it's in her tummy. Oh, okay. So you take the x-ray, you rip it up, you toss it in the garbage and you pat your little girl on the head and you say, there you go, sweetie, everything's better. <laughs> in my decades of having the, the privilege of counseling people in God's word and, and suffering with them, and in studying God's word for this week and for a long time, and, and reading books about this very issue, and more than all those put together, my own personal experience with my own problems and my own pains and dealing with them inappropriately or sometimes by God's blessing appropriately, I got to tell you this. Pain is more friend than foe. Pain is telling you something. So when there's pain in your life, don't just avoid it. Don't just cover it up. Don't mask it. But be patient and persevere. Hang in there. Listen, it, listen to it and let it guide you to where it wants to take you as a tour guide because there's a problem somewhere. There's caked on black oven junk in the oven, and, and it's trying to take you there so that you actually do something about it. Uh, and guess what? That very truth applies to God's word and to our faith and to and what we experience in our lives. There's this verse in the Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 71, uh, and it's going to guide things today, and I'll come back to it a few times. It says this, the psalm writer says this, it was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your decrees. He's praying this to God. It was good for me to be afflicted that I might learn your decrees. 
So that passage agrees with a host of other passages and the whole section today in 1 Peter 4 about, about pain. And it tells us that pain isn't always bad. Most pain, if we listen to it, leads us to a, a place that is actually good. And the Bible talks about that now in this section. So it uses words like, like for pain is good, right? This says in 1 Peter 4, words like rejoice, you're blessed, praise God, continue to do good. So there's this type of, of pain that's connected to praise. And the particular type of pain that's connected to praise here is chosen pain. All right, there's a difference between chosen pain and unchosen pain. Unchosen pain is, is uh, you, you get, you get uh, caught in a hurricane or you, or you have allergies, okay? There's all, all kinds of that stuff that happens in the world. But I'm talking about now, and the Bible here is talking about chosen pain. Like chosen hardships. You know, let me give you an example of a chosen hardship. Children. Okay? Moms, dads, I'm sorry, but kids are a pain. I, I, mean, I mean, we love them. We love them. They're, they're a blessing. But children are a hardship, right? You talk to the new mommy and daddy who are staying up all night because their little baby doesn't know how to sleep. That's a chosen hardship, but it's good, right? It's good. Over the long haul, over all those long nights, and then the years to come, and the baby becomes a toddler and becomes a middle schooler and becomes a teenager and an adult and gets married and has kids someday and mom and dad have grandkids, and oh, that's the, that's the best ever. Um, that's all a joy. It's all good, Right? When I said that kids are a pain and children are a hardship, you looked at me like I had a horn coming out of my head because we don't, we don't operate that way. We, children are good. They're a blessing. But honestly, they're a hardship. They're both, right? We choose it as parents. We choose that. Chosen inconveniences are, are a pain that is good. Let me give an example of that. Would be would be being an active member of a church. Right? It's You've chosen the inconvenience of being here on this first sunny day we've had in a long time because you could be out mowing your lawn, which you haven't been able to do in two weeks, or golfing or fishing, and, and here you are. You've chosen an inconvenience. You choose to give your money away to our, our work here and our mission. Um, you choose to use your gifts and your talents in ways that you could be using them elsewhere, right? When we're active members of a church, you're part of a group, a, a church family, we, there's inconveniences, and they hurt, Jesus doesn't say they won't. He says they will, but they're good. Chosen soreness. Physical therapy is an example of, or, or just even working out or exercising, right, is an example of, I choose to do that. Got a bum ankle? Instead of just letting it be, be a bad ankle the rest of my life, I choose to do physical therapy and I take 20 minutes a day to do exercises and do the bands and go walking like my physical therapist says I, says I should. And the next day, ah, my ankle's kind of sore. It shouldn't be sore. Yes, it should. That means it's healing. It means you're working on it. That's good. It's chosen. See that? Chosen hardships, chosen inconveniences, chosen soreness, all of it isn't even close to the best chosen pain of all. And that's choosing to live my faith when it hurts, when it's inconvenient. 
when it means a hardship for me, when, when it means that I'm experiencing something that I may not like, it may not be my preference, but because I've chosen to live my faith, it's good, and I can praise God, and I can be blessed, and, and I can continue to do good, right? So here's, here's how the section in First Peter goes on to talk about that, choosing things in faith. I, when I do that, I choose what Jesus loves. When I do that, I choose what God's will is. When I, when I choose faith, I choose to be drawn more deeply into my discipleship with Jesus and his cross becomes bigger in my life. And now this is what it says here in 1 Peter 4. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. And if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, see that? These are Christian choices. You suffer as a Christian, insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Cheer up! You've chosen the cross. The cross. The world's most known logo and branding the most universally widespread known symbol of all a symbol of of who god is of what his work is all about all about that of why christians believe what we do the cross the cross was god's choice God the Father chose the cross for his own son. And God the Son eventually chose the cross, and that's how he died. God has chosen the cross. Why? Because he loves sinners. He loves us. God loves you. There's a few different Greek words that are used in the New Testament of the Bible for love. Um, you might hear Christians talk about some of these different phileo, philos and eros, and, and then there's one, agape is the Greek term. That, that one means a heartfelt, deep love. The, the best translation of that kind of love would be this, love of choice. Love that chooses to love. And what that means is that that's love, it's not like me saying I love sauerkraut, right? Because sauerkraut, it's just, it's awesome. I love it on my pizza. I love it on my wedge salad probably even. But sauerkraut is lovable for me. That's not agape love. That's Phyllis love, even Eros love. Agape love is love of choice, meaning you choose to love something that doesn't deserve your love. So you might agape sauerkraut because it, you don't like, it doesn't deserve your love. You don't like it. So God agapes us. We don't deserve his love, but he chooses to love us as sinners anyway and chooses the cross to save us. That's that love of choice. God chose the cross for his son. God the son chose the cross because he loves us even as sinners. It was the only way for God to punish our sins without punishing us. That means you're forgiven for all. By the love of God. Let me read this verse from 1 John chapter 4. This is how God showed his love among us. Oh, pay attention. It's going to tell us. It's going to focus us now. This is how God shows his love among us. 
it's not out in nature, it's not up in the sky, it's not a, a, a miracle that, that your dog is miraculously cured of cancer and now you know there's a God. It's how does God show his love among us? Here's what the Bible says. He sent his one and only son into the world as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love, the Bible says. And because that, that cross, that painful, even bloody cross, serves such a noble purpose, because it's so wonderful, it saves us and it forgives us, and it's God's entire plan of salvation culminating on Calvary, and there's the cross. Because of all those things, for us, the cross of Jesus is a joy. The day that we celebrate the cross more than any other day, that Friday before Easter, that's what we call that Friday. Good Friday. For us, the cross is beautiful and wonderful, wondrous, amazing. And for Jesus, it's wonderful too even though he's the one who shed his blood there, excruciating pain of being crucified. Some say the worst way in history, the most painful, excruciating way anyone could ever die. You die by suffocation, not by the nails and the spears. You die by dying by suffocation. Um, even for Jesus, the cross was a joy. Wonderful, noble, beautiful, even while he was being impaled on it. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. We had an awesome conversation about this in our Jesus Loves Me group this week. We looked at, uh, we related this, what I just said, to the Psalm 119 verse that I quoted before, right? It, it is good for me to be afflicted, Lord, that I might obey your decrees, that I might learn your decrees. And we talked about the cross and about Jesus and about how Jesus actually learned obedience from what he suffered. That's a quote from the book of Hebrews. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. See, even for Jesus, he would say with the psalmist, uh, it was good, Heavenly Father, it was good for me to be afflicted. It was good for those nails to be pounded and it was good for the cross, because I learned, Father, to obey your decrees all the way to death, Jesus says. So now here's my question. You, you and I, we love Jesus' cross. It's wonderful and it's noble and it's beautiful and it forgives us. And Jesus, he loves his cross. What about your cross? Do you love that one too? Would you call it wonderful? Do you, do you treasure the pain, the inconvenience, the hardship? Or do you complain about it, grumble about it, maybe avoid it? If you're like me and other people, you, you try to get rid of it. And you're just throwing the smoke detector in the other room. You're just ripping up the x-ray and not dealing with what we need to deal with. This is what Jesus says. These are his own words here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whose cross? Their cross. 
You and I have, Jesus had a cross and we have a cross. Jesus continues, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus says, listen, he says, you want to follow me? I'm so glad that you rejoice in my cross. I'm so glad that you cling to my cross and that you see the, the forgiveness there, that you believe in my grace. I'm so glad you love my cross. I need you to love your cross too. The same way. I need you to cling to your cross too. Your pain, your inconvenience, your hardship. I need you to see that as beautiful. And if you don't, in Jesus' own words. Get rid of the pain. Get rid of the inconvenience and hardship. Avoid it. Unchoose it. And, and you unchoose the cross. Unchoose the cross and you unchoose Jesus. Unchoose Jesus and you've just lost everything that he wants to give you, including forgiveness and heaven and all spiritual blessings for this life and beyond. That's what Jesus says right here. That's how serious and central the cross is. Get rid of the cross and you get rid of the Christ. The cross is the only way. The cross was the only way for Jesus. It was the, there was no other way. Remember when he prayed in the garden? Father, if there's another way, please let's do it. And nope. For Jesus, the cross was the only way. And now he's telling you and me, when you're a Christian, the cross is the only way. There is no Christian life without hardship, without suffering, without the plastic container around, the, right? It's... That's because we're resisting our sinfulness and a world in sin. It's going to be hard. So Jesus says, don't give up. It's, the good. It's, not only the, it's not only the only way, it's a good way. I've been challenging you so far. I'm going to come up now with some promises and some encouragements because we need those. And, and here it is. The cross isn't, isn't just the only way, it's a good way. Um, my, my dad used to say this. I'd be whining about something, not wanting to do my chores or my homework or complaining or, or all anxious about how difficult a job would be. And he would say, he'd, he'd cross his arms, kind of tilt his head and say, and this didn't help at all, by the way. This is what dads do. Well, it really helped, but it didn't seem like it helped. He would say, there's an easy way and there's a right way. And then he'd walk away. There's an easy way and there's a right way. Well, I want to choose what's right, but that's not easy. And our Heavenly Father says the same thing. There's an easy way and the right way, and here's the right way. Those who suffer according to God's will, it says in 1 Peter 4, should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. God the Father is saying, hang in there. What you're doing is good. Continue to do it. This is suffering according to God's will. When you choose with your faith, this is what God is choosing too. And he says, says hang in there. So, so we have this command from God. You're looking at it right now in, in this verse. And in God's kingdom and in, in his will for you, God never gives you a command without giving you a promise. 
that helps you do the command. It's bonus Sunday. There's not just one promise here. There's two. Can you see it in these words? There's two promises here. When God says, hang in there, carry your cross, bear your cross, there's, there's two promises now that he tells you that allow you to do that. Number one, by choosing the cross, it connects you to God the Father. And he refers to himself here as your faithful creator. God the Father, he's in the creating business. He's, a, he's always creating something. You know what he wants to do? He wants to create things in your life. He's more interested in creating in, in you character than comfort. He's more interested in, in creating things in you than things around you. But we typically want God to change things around us and to give us comfort. And he says, I, I want you to hang in there. I want you to bury your cross. I'm your faithful creator. I'm working on you. You're my project. I'm creating things in you. Hang in there. That's promise number one. Promise number two. Uh, from God, right? God is... God is, is he, he makes good things out of things that we think are bad. That's his promise about being our faithful creator. He can, he can give Abraham and Sarah a child. He can rescue the Israelites from Egypt and from exile. He can raise his own son from the dead. Right? He, God, the faithful creator, creates good things out of what we think are uh, something bad. Taking six years to build a church building. God, give him time. Give him a chance. Promise, promise number one. Promise number two. Choose the cross, it connects you not just to God the Father, but God the Son. Right? Here it calls it good. Uh, goes on to say in 1 Peter 4, you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed. Cheer up! The cross is pain with purpose. The cross is pain that has promise. Very hard to suffer when there's no purpose and no promise. And that happens, but not in God's kingdom. Did you know that uh, when golf balls were first uh, developed, were the first created, well, that's not very hard surface. That's like, high, that's, that's like I hit a golf ball right there. When golf balls were first uh, made, they were smooth. Not like this, but they were, they were like a ping pong, like a hard, solid ping pong ball. And all the golfers, in, when golf was first invented, weren't, weren't very good. And it was the, probably the first and only legitimate time a golfer could blame equipment <laughs> for bad shots. Maybe there's other times. But it was the, it was the ball, because it was smooth, you would hit it and it would just go Kind of like a ping pong ball would that's a little harder. And so th what they learned is that they they could scuff up the ball a little bit in some ways. It would actually catch the air better and fly in the air until they began developing these little dimples that, that are all over the surface of a golf ball. And those dimples actually make it, engineering-wise, aerodynamically, able to launch off the tee, leave, leave the ground, soar high into the air, stay up there in the clouds, there's that beautiful golf shot, and it's just it's hovering in the heavens above, and it goes a long distance, and then it, it sticks the landing on the green, and it rolls a little bit, and clunk, 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 goes in the hole. Oh, beautiful golf. Right, that's the destiny of a well-engineered golf ball. Are you willing 
for God to put a little, a few dimples to, to notch a little bit in your here and there. Ow, oh, like they did to this poor little golf ball. Oh, owie, it, that, it, you're, it's not smooth anymore. Yeah, are you willing to, for God to rough you up a little bit? Because when he does, those are dimples. Like we have when we smile. And God's smiling on you. And he's saying, oh, I have plans for you. I want you to take off more than you've been able to take off in your ways. And I want you to soar higher than you've ever been able to soar before with, with, the, with what you think is important in your ways. And I want you to hover in the heavens so close to me and the angels, I can almost kiss you. And then I want you to stick that landing like you've never stuck a landing before, all because... I, God, just able to rough you up a little bit and you hung in there. And it was pain with purpose and promise and it was good. Go, my friend. Go farther and longer and higher than you've ever gone before. As God gives you your crosses and you bear them and carry them with faith and with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've taught us so well, so much, these deep truths of the heart. We sit here and we listen to your words and we love them and we know they're right. And then tomorrow morning we go back to our old ways. We don't want to do that, Father. Thank you for the cross. Make the cross of Jesus ever bigger in our hearts and in our lives. You command us and your calling is high, but your promises are even higher. Encourage the hearts of our people here today, Lord. There's, there's a person who's been struggling with a cross that they're bearing, and they need your help and your encouragement, and they've heard it today. Send us forth today with joy, knowing your word, trusting in your promises, and that, that believing that we are connected with Jesus now and forever. Amen.